everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino's Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Chad Weinman join us. Chad is a part of Risk Lens, um, which is an organization that uh, provides consultancy and provides uh, technology to evaluate cyber risk. And uh, they have had an immense contribution, as has their founder. Uh, and we're honored to have him here today. Uh, thank you for joining us, Chad. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks. So, Chad, we got to ask, you know, risk is a gigantic topic in cybersecurity. I, I don't think you can visit a cybersecurity vendor, a cybersecurity consultancy's website mm -hmm. where you don't see the word risk. And it comes up, it's mm -hmm. used so often, and I would dare to say that it's actually abused in many ways. Because mm -hmm. in our personal experience, we have found most organizations have a hard time actually uh, quantifying it and and really mm -hmm. saying, you know, what what is risk to them? What is acceptable? What is mm -hmm. not? How do we get there? Your insights or thoughts mm -hmm. on that, is that what you have, you folks might observe in the industry or are we an exception in that observation? Uh, no, definitely not. I, it's, it's a magic word risk um you put it in your job description put it all over your resume anything you're sending to the business just put the word risk in there half a dozen times um it's it's overused and it, it's it's like a lot of other words like model framework things like That's that right. that you can just when in doubt put the word risk in there and you'll get somebody's attention um and and uh yeah unfortunately because of that it's it's watered down or used uh blindly uh, an example I always point out when I talk to organizations is if they pull up their quote unquote risk register, it's a dumpster file almost all the time, dumpster fire of a whole bunch of stuff, findings, audits, assets, groups, like it's just, it's a mess of everything. You want to pull your hair out, um, when you go through it. And it's just because, uh, it's, it's, it's a word that's just thrown around very cavalier and, uh, um, and magically. And so I think one of the first you know, uh, things I learned quickly was the benefit of, of actually understanding what risk is and being able to explain what risk is. Um, uh, cause I, I myself at one point was, was throwing it around very casually as well. And, um, so that's probably step one is, is understanding that, but it's a huge problem in the, in the industry and space. So do you have some, so so, yeah, how, so. how should companies look at it? So if you're, uh, whether you're a greenfield startup, and you're looking at risk or you're a, a company that's yeah. been business for a while, what are some ground rules Some for when you start talking risk, what what should be some ground rules that are put in place? Yeah. To... I think I think it's just having intention um, because I, I, the crazy thing is most everybody rallies around the same definition of what it is, which is some form of likelihood or frequency and then impact. It's like car insurance, right? Teenagers are going to pay more, more in car insurance. Why? Higher likelihood they're going to get an accident, right? And then obviously impact costs. So insuring a Honda Civic is not the same as insuring a Ferrari. There's various values of the asset. And so it's this idea of how likely is some bad event going to happen when it does? What's the impact or, or loss associated with it? Everybody agrees that's pretty common, pretty standard, pretty used, but when people use the word risk, they use it not to discuss uh, things that you can measure 
that definition on, but just around anything. So as an example, um, a malicious insider is not a risk. Yeah, I, I can't tell you the likelihood or impact of a malicious insider than of themselves. What I could tell you is what a malicious insider may do. They may take your systems offline. They may steal information. Well, each of those has a different likelihood and impact. So the biggest thing is, is understanding that and, and having intention that when you talk about risk, you can only assign a likelihood and impact to an event, some scenario or lot, what we refer to as a loss event, something that creates loss. And so often what people do is, and, and not just cybersecurity professionals, but business people is they, they, you know, we always, one of the first things I teach the people on my team is, is you're almost, you need to become a therapist. And people will come to you and they're going to tell you all their problems and their issues and their concerns. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm worried about the cloud and I'm worried about malicious insiders and I'm worried about this and that. And you have to translate. You have to like sit on my sofa. Let me ask you two or three more questions. I want to find out what you're really worried about. And it's really meaning I'm going to pull out, pull these threads to figure out, well, what is the, what is the event or events that you're worried about? And that's what I can measure. That's what I can assign a likelihood and an impact to. So it's really just having some intention behind it versus adding the word risk to whatever you want. It's understanding that you probably have to take it one or two steps further uh, to define what is it you're measuring or assessing the likelihood and impact of. So, That's all. So, so. Would, would you say that they should, like a lot of companies have a disaster recovery plan in place. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. that a good place to look for what might be those events could be absolutely it's it's funny though i i had a, a risk register i looked at at a customer that called their business continuity team a risk okay. and i'm like wait business continuity is a risk i'm like isn't that a group of people and they're like well yeah there's a group that does that so you're calling them a risk i'm like do you not like them and they're like no i mean they're do you so they suck at their job and they're like no you don't mean that either <laughs> what what do you mean and they're like well we can't recover quickly Oh, okay. Well, that's not like, once again, so the risk is when an outage occurs or something that takes your systems offline, the impact is going to be longer than like, it's just asking intelligent questions to understand, oh, what's the probability you have an outage? If it's once in every hundred years, maybe it's okay. You don't have the fastest recovery timeframe, but if it's something that happens every week or every month, maybe it matters a hell of a lot more. And so, yeah, I mean, disaster recovery, Audit find. I mean, basically, all of those sources of concerns are all valid. Audit findings, um, current events happening in the industry, business continuity or disaster recovery scenarios. It's just taking them the next step to define. Well, what are the specific events that cause those uh, findings to create loss, and then kind of pulling that thread a little bit, like I said Would earlier. Would you so. consider? Uh regulatory fines as a set of uh, as a loss and thus a threat or a or a risk yeah yeah no it's good it's it's um no it's true uh sorry i had to ask that question yes and no in most cases i wouldn't uh and because i care about my career i don't go around calling regulators threats but um but in some ways they act in the manner like a threat because they create loss by finding or issuing judgments or whatnot um, but usually they're doing it in response to some other event. So usually there's this idea of the bad thing happens and there's an initial loss that happens with that. 
And then sometimes there's fallout from that. And that can include fines, lawsuits, settlements, um, reputational harm. And so often how we view it is there's, there's a catalyst event. This is more regulators are more the fallout or the response to a reaction to that event. And they kind of pile on for better, for worse, additional loss or impact <laughs> to the organization uh, because they're not happy. But occasionally, though, there are circumstances where um, regulators can act in a manner that almost becomes a threat, as in they could be the source of loss in the first place. Yeah. Um, definitely in different yeah, uh, depending on the business and, and, so. and the geography, yeah. they can. I mean, if you're yeah. in the defense business, uh, the government can't shut you down. Absolutely. You're not in compliance so, with certain yeah. regulations, which actually brings up another question. Um, we often see that compliance does not correlate to great cybersecurity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is yeah. that something that you have followed in your experience? Because you see so many more companies. I, I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, that's how I got into risk. Oh, really? Uh, so please so I tell. Was, I was uh, let's say I started earlier in my career in the the let's just say the big four uh, okay. accounting and auditing firms and professional services, and I was an IT auditor at the time when it was the thing. I went into it not knowing what it was. Nobody could tell me what it was, and then it became a big thing. Yep. Um, but uh. I remember uh, having a, a pretty strong technology background from programming and other experiences beforehand and um, kind of auditing, let's just say, uh, a large organization uh, in a whole bunch of their environment, coming up with a list of findings. And I went to a meeting with this um, person, very experienced, had been managing teams and si thousands of systems for a decade. And I went to him very naively and said, well, I've got a list of risks here for you. And I started going through all these findings and saying, well, this is wrong and this is bad and this is wrong and this is a risk and this is a risk. And he was like, I can tell you 15 reasons why those things do not matter and represent almost zero risk. And the reality is because I had a technology background, I kind of knew he was right. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't defend this. Like, I, I get it. These are the most minute little issues you have to deal with. But in my role, this is not the way it says it's supposed to be. So I'm writing this up as a finding and this is a risk, quote unquote. And so to me, that was, that was something that I, it bothered me. It bothered me that I felt like I was like a principal grade, like grading people yeah. or like a school teacher grading them. Um, but I knew what I was doing was, was lacking any critical thinking or, or defensibility. And, and that's kind of where I learned, oh, Risk is that thing that kind of takes the next step and really understands how much does that matter. And then I found out how risk was done. I was like, oh, no, it's not very good. And then I kind of got into where kind of pulling the envelope there and trying to innovate. But but yeah, I mean, I think compliance is, is necessary. It's important, but it is definitely not risk. And that, you know, not all findings are created equal. <laughs> and not, uh that's the step I think most people that look at compliance and auditing could really add value is, is critically thinking that, hey, uh, especially like, I mean, not to throw shade on that whole industry too, but I remember if somebody didn't address something in a time period we liked, we started saying, oh, well, you know, this could become a significant fine. <laughs> Did the risk change? No, just we're just bothered that you didn't address it. Well, 
that's BS. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's, it could represent even less risk than it did the first time we pointed it out, but we're going to say it's significant because you didn't address it like we wanted you to. So um, I think that uncomfort that I had with what I was doing kind of led me down the path of, of understanding that risk might be that all right, we're going to peel back the cover and actually understand it more. I, I'm so, so glad. That's kind of what got me into what I'm I do. I'm so glad you're saying this uh, because we have, you know, when we go in and we talk to uh, the management teams, a lot of times they're like, well, we don't need these things. We're already PCI compliant. We already have our SOC 2. We, we have sufficient yeah. controls. Uh, but then we always like to point out to them, let's look at uh, – JP Morgan Chase, they got breached. CNA, mm -hmm. they got breached. Mm -hmm. That's a megacorp. Yahoo, three billion mm -hmm. records. They got breached. Mm -hmm. Target. Mm -hmm. They got breached. Yep. And every one of the, and we can go we can go play the yeah. Home Depot. I mean, pick a company. I mean, the, yep. they all got breached. Every one of those companies was compliant with all the compliances. All the things you could do. All the things you yep. could do. And no, check all the boxes. You all want. the boxes. And that doesn't equate to good yep. cyber yep. security or understanding of the risk that, that goes along with it. Yep. So tell us. A, yeah, I mean, to me, I feel like I, I feel like for a second, like checking the boxes is like foundational. It's like baseline. It's like we got to do it. Let's do it. But if you want to really get into adding value in the security field, it's how are you going to minimize the impact to respond really efficiently or understand how do you reduce the probability of things materializing because checking the boxes is not going to prevent it from happening it's not ever going to be you know making you perfectly secure it's not going to help you recover quickly i mean it's it's not going to help you respond and identify it i it, it is uh it is something you need to do it's a starting point but by no means is it the, the finish line at all so so tell us a little bit about fair what the what fair. what what is the organization or, or what's its origins here yeah so so fair is a uh, a model for measuring and def well defining and measuring cybersecurity risk and it was created uh, i'm based uh, in columbus ohio and it was actually created uh within columbus in the city of columbus uh long time ago um, uh, with our founder uh, and the gentleman who invented uh, FAIR named Jack Jones. And basically he found himself, and this is a, a good story for all of you uh, salespeople or people talking about cybersecurity all the time. He found himself uh, a new CISO of a very large insurance company in town, um, putting together a cybersecurity budget and a plan and a strategy, and then going to beg for money to get this plan in place and to execute. And remember, it's an insurance company. So luckily, they uh, are very intelligent on what risk is. And they started asking some questions of security, as in, how much risk do we have? And like most people in security, they would say lots. And they were like, that's not a very good answer. And if we give you these millions and millions of dollars, how much uh, less risk will we have? shrugged his shoulders and as he tells the story he said well less <laughs> um now if if he wanted to rattle off the threats they face the vulnerabilities they have the, all these meaningless metrics that are very very cyber specific 
but to business executives, people that understand risk and insurance, they, those are very legitimate questions that he couldn't answer. And so I think it goes back to this, this challenge we have in security of, of relying too much on, on FUD, fear, uncertainty, and oh doubt my God. to try to get what we want. It's pervasive. And so that was, yeah, so that was like over a, well over a decade ago, you know, 20 years ago. And so FAIR has been growing and it was created as an international standard um, uh, by a, a standards organization known as the Open Group. It's, it's got a community right now that has over 10,000 members globally and chapters around the world. Um, and it's becoming this, this predominant model for cybersecurity about how do you measure and assess uh, risk quantitatively predominantly too in business terms, meaning we actually measure it with data, not just you know, finger in the wind, it feels medium to me. Um, and so that's the pre predominant and prevailing model right now. And so RiskLens, the company I'm part of, um, one, our co-founder was the gentleman who, who started this train, but we are really there to help scale that model into a large enterprise. And that means a platform, uh, strategies, process, people process platform, right? Building it in to something that can scale, um, because you can't spend weeks quantifying risk. You need to do it in hours or a day, depending on the decision. Um, and to do that means you've, you've got to have the right processes in place, the right data, the right platform, the right foundation to scale it in an organization. And that's what we do at Risk. So, um, but underpinning everything we do is this, this standard model known as FAIR. And it's kind of our, our lens, uh, quote, pun intended, on, on how we view risk. And so it's, it's kind of our North Star about how we do what we do. Could you uh, walk us through uh, a simple a layman's exercise on how we could, how a company would quantify risk? Like, what are the steps? I, I know there's a, a lot of mathematics involved with what sure. you do, but walk us through a yeah. sample example. Like, uh, let, let's say, um, company is concerned about ransomware. They're going to get hit by WannaCry because they, they don't know how many unpatched systems they have out there. They don't. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is, is what we talked about earlier is defining what it is we're measuring. So defining or scoping the assessment. And so what are we worried about? All right. We're worried about the inavailability of critical systems. What from malware like ransomware and who's the actor? Well, it's not going to be an insider. It's going to be some cyber criminal out there that's you know obviously holding a ransom, financially motivated. So okay, so now we know the scenario we're looking at. Now, what are the assets or systems we're worried about targeting? Usually, it starts at say you know a, a laptop or some endpoint, and then propagates into a shared drive environment or whatnot, or could be targeting a system. So what are the assets or systems we're worried about? And they're usually ones that we rely on to support our operations and our business. And so. Once we've scoped it out, then we move on to the next stage, which is kind of starting the analysis where we start looking for data. So what are the controls and the data points we have in place? How often are we seeing malicious um, malware or phishing attacks and whatnot coming into the system? What are the controls in place that we have to make us less susceptible to them? So we start analyzing and collecting data to measure the probability that ransomware may impact us. And then we also collect data on if it were to impact us, what does that loss look like? What are the teams we're going to have responding? What is the recovery timeframes we think we'll have in place? What are the impacts to our revenue, our reputation, our 
contractual obligations. What does that look like from a, a loss perspective? And we then, once we've collected that data, we feed that into uh, like the RiskLens platform as an example to run the assessment and then out comes the results. Now, before we go presenting them, we obviously do a QA. So, you know, the next step, which is important for, for the people running the assessment is, all right, we've ran it. We see this result set in front of us. Here's how much risk it represents the organization. Before we go presenting it and getting tough questions, let's, let's try to poke holes in ourselves. Can we defend this likelihood? Can we, can we defend this impact? Can we, can we understand what's driving it? And if it's high or if it's surprisingly low, why? So we want to think ahead about the answers, uh, the answers to the questions we're likely to be asked. And then we kind of put that together in a, a presentation and then we go communicate it. So that's, that's the standard, you know, identify, analyze, and then communicate and, and communicate the results, kind of the process in piece. General kind of risk assessment or risk management process. That's sort of the one thing that we do a lot in RiskLens uh, with FAIR is um, I find one of the biggest problems I have with risk is we, we almost stop halfway to adding value as in just telling the organization, this is a lot of risk, this is a little risk, this is a lot of risk. Okay, kind of tell them what's important, what's not. But what we can do when we quantify and when we apply data is we can also tell them, by the way, if you implement this new control or if you implement this preventative technology, what does that do to our level of exposure and risk? So if we say, hey, ransomware represents, you know, let's just say $1.5 million of exposure to the organization each year, by implementing this, you know, additional, uh, let's just say, email filtering or okay. malware protection service, we can reduce that exposure by forecasted down to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Now we're actually helping do what risk management is supposed to do, which is help drive decisions or actions to manage risk. And so, just answering the how much question is like half of the story that we like to tell at RiskLens. The other is, what are we going to do about it? Right? What can we do about it? And that's when you know when you present that to the business, when you're not just saying, do this, do this, do this, but you're saying, here's how much it represents today. Here's how much it will once we implement this process, this control, this technology. Now you're enabling them or encouraging them to make decisions. And that's where we add value, right? And we erase the FUD. So, the, you know, as you were describing this, the word that came to my mind was that there's a lot of guesstimation that might have to take place uh, because some of these things yeah. we don't know. If we got yeah. hit by ransomware, sure. What does that mean? Um, well, you yeah. know, how much downtime is there? We would have to do a calculation on that. Yeah. You know, who all could be impacted? Yeah. I mean, there, there seems to be. This isn't a black and white thing. You're going to have to have. Oh, no. And it's and it's not a number. It seems like. You could have a yeah. continuum of values. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, it, it is 100% true, right? And it's probably the first misconception people have when we say, oh, we quantify risk into dollars and cents. They're like, BS. I don't prove it. I don't believe it, right? And it's just like, it's, it's almost always uh, not because that person wants to be a jerk. It's because they have misconceptions about how we do it, right? Um, listen, if I can predict the future and do things that good with perfect data and perfect analysis and have a perfect outlook in the future, I wouldn't be in this business. I would be down at the casino. I'd be down to the sure. horse track. I'd be retired right now because I would, 
I would use those talents to a much better venue for myself personally. <laughs> so I think like, let me, let me ask you a quick question, right? Cause we're remote. I think you, we've met a few times, but yeah. we're remote and I'm on video right now. I want you to guess right now, exactly how tall am I? You've been in this room. You, you know, the, the, the dimensions of that picture. How tall uh, am I'm I? I'm going to guess, uh, take a guess, guess to me. Five ten to six one. Five ten to six one. All right, you have a a, a nice uh, wine collection here uh, at Dark Rando. Uh, do you want to bet half your wine collection that I'm between five ten and six one exactly? Can't be outside of it. Would you bet the the entire wine? There's a lot of employees that might be upset if you're wrong. Would you? Yeah, but you know what? The be beauty is, I don't drink wine, so <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. To heck with them. We're making the best. Normally, if you had a vested interest in this, no yeah. way, right? And you, by the way, you didn't give me a precise guess. You gave me a yeah, range, because right? So that's the thing. People assume that we come out with an exact number of, oh, it's going to be exactly 1.5 million in 300,000 and 32 I can't cents, give right? you an exact because I, I don't, I, I can, add, can guesstimate know. that I know some people yeah. who are 6'1", who sit in that yep. chair where they go. end up so i'm thinking okay somewhere yeah so, and so and first of all was i close but you have a lot of uncertainty you you have a lot you see you're close but the thing is you're wrong still because you you know what this is the thing you embraced this wanting this certainty right so one thing that's good about risk is it, it, to be good at risk is you have to love the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty so no i'm actually i'm actually shorter than that five eight Wow. So well, I would have so, lost the wine. Here's the thing. If I would have let you understood how uncertain you are, what about five feet to seven feet? <laughs> everybody on the. Oh, the yeah. Everybody would take that bet. Would have bet that, right? Take it. That's perfectly fine. And so, obviously, how much time would it take for you to get better measurements? Uh, like two minutes, and you would be able to narrow that down. But there are definitely things where in cyber, where it's an event that's never happened or a place we have really bad data on. We have to be okay with the fact that there is no precise measurement and that there's a wide range of possible outcomes. And that's something you can learn and train on, but it is not, it's like anything else. There's uncertainty in any form of risk. And the funny thing is, is that usually when we talk about quantification, people get literally very uncomfortable when we talk about that, but how else do they look at risk today? Yeah. They say, ah, it seems medium, seems high. What does that mean? Uh, if I try to pin you down and put a definition on it, you're going to start squirming. So it's funny. It's, it's, it's almost like they conveniently use a qualitative subjective word like medium. So they don't have to acknowledge the fact that they don't actually know. And when you quantify, it just brings it out to where we say, listen, this is the places where we have good data and good understanding and good confidence. And here are places we don't. And the, and, and the thing about especially applying risk in cybersecurity is, how much data could we have? I mean, you can look at insurance in like hurricanes. We have hundreds of years of data. Right. And by the way, uh, when you project a hurricane, it doesn't say, oh, look, they put plywood up. Let yeah. me change direction and wind speed to go around it. But the kind of threats we face are humans. And so, yeah, oh, look at I see what they put in place. Guess what? I'm going to change my tactics. I'm going to change my direction. Yeah. We have much more. We have a different threat landscape than than other forms of insurance have. And so to me, it's, I don't want to say it's easier. It's not, it's, it's harder, but it's by all means possible. It's just how you approach it. So I'll tell you, there's a lot of organizations out there and I won't name them by name because I promised I'd stay non-controversial, but they're, they're, uh, they're 
providing their clients a risk score, kind of like your credit score. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Aren't they doing the industry a little bit of an injustice here by quantifying? I mean, risk? It, it depends. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sliding scale, right? I mean, saying you're low, medium, or high isn't really all that valuable, right? You're one of three buckets. No, they're saying, okay, right, your risk score you is out of a score of a thousand. You're four hundred and sixty-two. Right. Okay, that's telling me a little more data, but like, here, here's the thing: what are you going to do about it? Like. What are the options for a CISO? All right, uh, we need to do what? Well, that doesn't seem great. We want to improve that. Okay, how are you going to improve that? People, process, technology. All right, what does all of those three things take? Right, they're all resources. We're going to put resources to it, new controls, new technologies, new team members, right? What does all that take? Money. So what are we really talking about? Money, right? You don't go... <laughs> Imagine we flip this on the edge. I don't, do you play golf by chance? I do. So imagine I came to you and I said, I work for Titleist. They don't know it. It's secret. I work for them. Okay. And in my basement last night, I created the greatest new driver, best driver you've ever hit. And I think the entire, you're the CEO, the entire company of Titleist, we got to put all our efforts behind this new driver. Now you're a golfer and you're a CEO. What are you going to ask me about this driver I'm, I'm raving about in your office? You're going to want to know what about it. You're a golfer. What do you want to know about it? I want to know how much of an improvement in yardage I'm going to likely get. And then what have you done to right. it? Is it heavier? There you go. I got to tell you, I've done a lot. And I'm going to tell you, I've got a medium high feeling you're going to hit the ball farther. And I got a moderate to low amount of confidence we're going to sell more drivers. Are you going to are you going to take that seriously? No. You're going to laugh me out of the room. You'd be like, who let, no. the hell, who let, this, who let this ridiculous person into my office, right? But that's literally the conversation, if we're honest about ourselves, that we do in security. We're like, I need another $400,000. Why? I got to implement this new control. Well, what's it going to do? Well, we got this high risk and I hope I'm going to make it medium. And so like, to me, it's, it, it's, it's not that we're quantifying in dollars and we're doing that because that is, that is the unit of measure by which we're evaluating, right? Cost benefit. While every investment we're making is usually going to take money, people, and time, right? Resources. And we have a responsibility to the organization to say, okay, before we spend money on those resources, we have a responsibility to say, what is that going to do? And is that a smart business decision? And the only way to do that is, I would argue, uh, quantification, talking about it in business terms, in, in dollars and cents or euros. Yeah, or sure. Something or whatever, that's monetary, right? that's valuable to them. Apples to apples. And so I ask you, if I give you a score and I say, okay, we're at 642. And if you do these things and you spend a million dollars, you'll get, get it down to a 486. If you're a CFO, is that a good answer? No, no. I want to know, is that worth a million dollars? No. You, you can't answer no, it. I don't think it's a good, you know, I might be the guy that's so. making bottled water and I don't give a rat's yeah. ass. I'm like, okay, so. But I mean, I'm, I'm not, so I'm I don't want to be careful. Like anything that's adding more data yeah, yeah, and more yeah. rigor to it, it's always good. It's a, right. But I feel like anytime you're still ending up talking about scores or ratings, you're falling short of trying to answer the question. Uh, what I think is often the question, which is, is this a good business decision? Exactly. And that's, that's the cost benefit of the investment. And 
So I think if you can take that more rigorous approach, but talk about it in the same unit of measure of the investment you're looking for, then you can help the business make a, a well-informed decision. And that to me is the key differentiation that, that we do and that FAIR as a model is looking to do um, beyond just scores. So, Can you give uh, any examples or any stories out there where companies have gone through a FAIR-based approach and they have materially changed their direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think uh, there's a lot. I'll pick a few, cherry sure. pick a few, of course. Your favorite, but I think I think <laughs> yeah, my my, my favorite. I won't pick my favorite, but uh, a couple of things that come from it. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's always in dollars and cents okay. either, right? Um, a couple of it is uh, a smaller hospital system. Um, recently told us they just started that they were able to make a better case to their board to get some additional funding for a security uh, uh, investment that wasn't budgeted, that they're pretty confident they would have never done before they were able to quantify risk. Because they were, and, and the reason is not just because they were throwing around dollars and cents, it's because they felt they could talk to the business in a language they understood, explain why that investment was going to reduce yeah, risk, yeah. So that that's 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 what they were able to do. Um, we have another organization that's able to present to their board of directors, um, and they're able to explain cyber in a way that business people understand, because that's not stacked with cyber people. So that's another use case, and I think probably the biggest one coming out of the last year that we've all had is there isn't this endless pot of gold for cyber spending that there once was. And the business is going to ask and expect uh, more questions to justify that spending. The business now is going to say, all right, we've been nice. We've given you all the money you've asked. But guess what? Coming out of the last year, we're tightening our belts. And you better have a – we need you to better explain why these things you're asking for, if, if your budget isn't cut <laughs> – if you're if you're still trying to get some resources, you have to you have to be able to defend it. You have to be able to explain why that's a good investment of, of money when everybody's trying to 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 more closely guard their cybersecurity budget. And so we're seeing that be a predominant thing coming out of the year. A big use case for us is taking their big initiatives and their cyber investments and being able to explain how those are going to present value to the business, i.e. how they're going to reduce risk and why they're valuable uses of resources. Because CIOs in technology are going to talk about gained efficiency, you know, faster delivery, more value, you know, whatever. Security, our value proposition is protecting customers, protecting the organization, preventing the bad things from happening. And so if we can tell that same story, but in a, oh, we save the organization this amount of fraud loss or you know, this lost revenue from outages because we're better protecting the organization. That's the discussion we need to have. And we need to stop using all the technical cyber jargon and start talking about business and impact in business terms. So that is, I think, the predominant um, theme we see uh, across all of our customers and soon-to-be customers is looking at FAIR and risk lens as an avenue to better communicate 
with their key stakeholders and with the business. See, in the hospital, the small health system story is is very powerful because you know having you know twenty percent of Dark Rhino's revenues from healthcare companies, mm -hmm. and we often find that those sizzles are competing against you know life saving equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, the, mm -hmm. it shouldn't always be the case, but do we spend four million on a new MRI unit? Or do we put a half a million dollars into a new EDR platform? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and at some point, at somewhere, that reconciliation happens. It, 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 that question comes up, right? Yep. So if one can explain in dollars and cents what this truly means to the operational mm -hmm. effectivity of the, of the hospital, mm -hmm. I think then the management, which is almost always physicians or people who uh, who know the business of medicine quite well might be more apt to listen. And, and that's, and it won't be precise, but it gives a range of outcomes that right. they can more be more informed about to come to a more well-informed decision. That's all we're trying to do. That that's uh that's a great little story. So Chad, I know we're uh, coming up here on the hour. That's actually surprising that uh, time went by so fast. And we had a little technical glitch. My, my camera battery died, so we switched to a webcam. So I'm apologizing to our, uh, to our folks uh, who are listening that we, we got a bad um, session uh, towards the end here, but uh, we'll have to see what. But Chad, uh, give us some things you'd like to plug. Any events, books? Things, uh, presentations you guys are going to be doing, anything new that's going to be notable coming out that, that you'd like yeah. everybody to know? I mean, obviously, from a, a platform standpoint, um, I've been with the company for over 10 years from the very start. And uh, some things that have come out recently in the platform are some of the biggest advancements we've done in the last decade by far. And what we have coming out, uh, I've never been more excited about what, what we're seeing happen. And the momentum in the market is right now, especially coming out of last year, is uh, truly exciting. So obviously everything, you know, we have an active blog and a lot of case studies and whatnot at wristlands.com. So I'll shill that like everybody would expect. But I, I will tell you, um, assuming your audience has a lot of practitioners, salespeople, everything else, um, as a cybersecurity professional, I can tell you one of the strongest things I got from this is a better understanding of how to communicate and understand security and risk because they're synonymous, but understanding just saying technical things and be able to communicate more effectively, especially with business people um, and, and talk about the value of security that comes from understanding risk and, and really understanding it. And I think one of the things I, I would point those people to is um, one, uh, the Fair Institute which is that community of over 10,000 people that are learning about the FAIR model, which is really the structure by which we take risk and decompose it down and measure it. And so I would, there's communities and interest groups and, and all of that. Um, so I would point you there, a blog, tons of write-ups and stuff like that. Uh, so the fairinstitute.org, uh, 10,000 members and growing rapidly. Um, but then on top of it, uh, training, uh, education. Um, you know, it's usually a place where people have funds and resources and what are you going to learn and grow professionally in the next year? And I can't think of honestly uh, something better in the feedback we get from people in security, whether they're risk professionals or not, just people in security get 
from better being able to understand and communicate risk. It's so foundational. And so um, we train thousands of people a year, uh, online, hybrid, in-person, many different formats, but spend a few days, learn about this. Even if you're in sales, learn about risk. It will help you communicate better with your prospects, help you communicate the value of what you're trying to accomplish or bring to the market. Um, so I, I definitely would would highly encourage um, training as a first step for anybody. Um, frankly, it's a little more engaged in the reading books. Um, my personal opinion. Well, I, Podcasts yeah. are great too. So, yeah. So, well, you know, maybe uh, at some point we can do like a little mini series with you guys, you or yeah, and uh, take people through an exercise. We could do wine Wednesdays and risk, and we'll we'll see. I'm I'm out. You know what? So. That is a really good go. concept. So when the new studio is up and running, <laughs> and, and some of these COVID restrictions come to an end, I think there you go. it'll be a great. Uh, that is. That is a great concept. We used to do whiteboard and whiskey Fridays. There you go. I love it. Well, that was a thing. And then COVID came along and that pretty much killed that, which is why we have all that booze in the office. You know, people come into the office and are like, well, you are you guys a bunch of alcoholics? It's like, no, no. Hey, it was a I mean, whiskey got- and whiteboards thing. And the whole yep. idea was get our customers together every Friday afternoon, late afternoon and give them a chance to talk to each other, Yep. right? Get us out of the way so we're not selling anything. We want customers to be, because we were trying to foster a cybersecurity community in Dublin, Columbus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Get them to talk to each other and perhaps they can have a glass or two of an allocated bourbon that they wouldn't be able to buy on the open market. Um, It's great. There's such, there there is a, a, there's always a great, every city I go to, there's always a great opportunity to have a good community of people that can share um, ideas, thoughts, news, updates. It's, it's always good to stay close in your communities. And uh, yeah, I mean, whenever it's a whiskey or wine, uh, sign me up. I'll, I'll be we, there quickly. Uh, I, I might have to, uh, we'll, we're going to take you up on that, believe me. So with that, everyone, we're going to sign off. And thanks again, Chad, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. And yeah, definitely, um, if you found it interesting or if anybody wants to talk more about it, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to hit me up. We will put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes uh, and a direct link to it. And we'll put, uh, if you can send me your blog link, I'll put that in the show notes. Perfect. Perfect.